Hello and welcome back to the Fencing Podcast. This is uh, episode two and because we've got so much uh, to talk about in this particular episode we're going to split it into two parts. So this is part one of episode two and in this section we'll be talking about the Paralympics. Uh, we've got a great interview with uh, Piers Gilliver. We'll quickly spin through the, the current season's junior results uh, and then I think we'll finish up with some discussion of what we know of retirements and coaching moves. Sounds very good. Uh, so Paralympics uh, kicked off uh, a couple of weeks after the end of the uh, Summer Olympics um, and it was largely dominated by the Chinese fencers. Uh, I mean, the world, world gold medals for uh, France, uh, Italy and two golds in the sabre uh, for Ukraine, uh, but largely uh, a Chinese-dominated uh, event. That's right. Um, if you haven't watched a whole load of wheelchair fencing before, it is a genuinely amazing spectacle. Um, if your first thought is, well, all right, two guys sitting in a chair hitting each other, that's yep. not going to be that great. Uh, but the athleticism involved is uh, really impressive. The range of movement that you can that's get right. while theoretically kind of immobile is, is just yeah. genu- genuinely incredible. Always takes me by surprise when, mm-hmm. I, when I watch it. And if you have you ever tried it? Uh, I've tried it a couple of times, actually. Yeah. Um, and it is what, what I find interesting about it is everyone says things like, well, obviously I do epi mostly. Everyone says, you know, epi is epi. But once you're sitting in a chair and you've got a fixed distance that you start off at uh, and you, you, you're essentially within the touching distance straight away, it makes it a very different game. It's much more, it's much more fast paced, really, because you're straight into either being hit or hitting or avoiding the other person's blade and it's there's quite a lot that happens straight away and I've watched a little bit obviously of the met of uh, of foil uh, in the wheelchair as well and it's a sort of a similar sort of thing where you know there's no there's, you can't escape your opponent you, yeah. you're kind of stuck there you can't just ha- get out of the way and have no, a little wait and no. think about it it's, it is genuinely all action um, so after the after the Paralympics were over um, in the same way that I called James Davis almost as soon as he got off the plane back from Rio um, I caught up with uh, the silver medalist uh, in the category men's epi uh, Britain's Piers Gulliver um, Britain's first medal at the Paralympics in wheelchair fencing since 1992 so a fantastic right. performance um, and I was delighted that uh, Pierce could join me and here's what he had to say So Pierce, uh, welcome to the Fencing Podcast uh, thanks very much indeed for joining us um, Hello, thanks for having me <laughs> Pleasure um, First of all, con- congratulations on your, your silver medal in Rio an absolutely fantastic performance um, I would imagine you're pretty pleased with it or did you think, well, maybe gold would have been better? Yeah, it's a real mix of emotions, uh, totally and for, for me to, to win the Olympic medal has been a dream for so long and to finally achieve it I'm just so thrilled but uh, obviously to lose uh, the final 15-13 uh, it's, it's, it's uh, been pretty frustrating yeah. um, I mean, it was, I, I yeah, it was going to be a tough match yeah, he's a really tough opponent you know, he's world champion I'm world number one so it was, it was a real uh, yeah. man, uh, good match yeah I mean the right final I mean certainly the uh, the coverage on Channel 4 was, was pretty good, but obviously we didn't see absolutely everything. But um, you know, a really closely matched, tight, tight fight to finish it, and it looked like the right the right two were there. And just obviously I would have hoped that it would, uh, the result would have been reversed, but, you know, kind of everything. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so how did you get started in fencing? Um, it's something um, I, I sort of purely found out about by chance because um, I was interested in uh, able-body fencing before I was in a chair, and then... Um, and then as my sort of disability progressed, um, sort of found out about wheelchair fencing uh, purely by chance, and um, so contacted um, uh, Cotswold Fencing in Churchtown, and uh, which is my, my local club, and uh, started there, um, and then just instantly fell in kept progressing and training more and more, and uh, things went pretty fast to learn down here now. Yeah, because um, I mean, you didn't compete in Rio, and to be fair, you'd have been very young at that time, um, so, so when, did, when did you get started? 
Um, so I started um, and the, start, uh, the end of 2010, right? Um, and then started sort of um, increasing my training, um, sort of 2011 through till I got selected for the uh, GB team in 2012. Um, but yeah, too too like too young for the uh, London Games, but uh, as as I expected, so. Yeah, yeah, but pushed on since then. So, so what does your training consist of now? Um, so I'm currently uh, based mostly at um, Bath University, so training um, uh, two, three days, times a week, two, three times a week with the uh, pentathletes, um, uh, co- coaching sessions um, almost every day with uh, Peter Rome, um, and then uh, the additional uh, additional coaching in foil uh, once a week with uh, Glenn Golding, um, then training at Bath Swords and extra sparring sessions, gym, cardio, oh. nutrition, kind of <laughs> the whole package. Really. Yeah, so you know, a full full-time training effectively yeah that's right yeah great um so so what does your competition schedule look like i mean i'm, I'm more familiar with uh, uh able-bodied fencing and a sort of world cup circuit consists of you know eight world cup and grown pre-events and a, a zonal championships and a world championship so what, what does your competition schedule look like so for us we have world championships and um uh, and the zonals every two years right um so next year we have the world championships and and about it's sort of uh, seven to eight World Cups and Grand Prix a year. Right. Uh, on top of that, so um, and for us, we don't really have a season. It's just kind of spaced out throughout right. the year. Yeah, these days the the FIE World Cups are um, more or less year year round as well. There's not there's not many breaks. Yeah, um, and it sounds sounds pretty similar with uh, with yours. Um, a really pretty much an, an identical circuit, I suppose. Um, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> good, and I take it that involves a, a huge amount of travel. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so. Um, yeah, kind of World Cups all over the place, really. Um, most of them tend to be European, but um, there's definitely sort of one, one in Asia, one in uh, one in uh, Americas uh, at least every year. Um, right. So yeah, get <laughs> definitely go around a bit. Yeah, taking the sport worldwide, that's good. Um, now you fenced uh, foil and epi uh, in in Rio, and you've you mentioned the, the training you do with Glenn Golding at foil. Um, more successful at epi. Uh, so I'm curious to know now whether you. Uh, continue to do both weapons, or or whether you you focus more now in epi, or is that kind of all, already really the case that foils your your second weapon? Um, so for me, um, although I managed to qualify in foil, um, I've always been kind of ninety nine percent fa focused really. Right. Um, it, I, I knew it's, it's my my main weapon. It's the one that suits me best, and it's the thing I'm strongest in. So t- going up to Rio and training before that. Kind of, if it was just uh, just always FA. Um, but my, my, as as I was um, competing in foil as well, um, my results were improving and improving in the foil as well. Right. Um, and so I was, I was able to get extra coaching with Glenn just to try and keep to improve that as well. While my focus was on FA, I, I really wanted the opportunity to prove myself in foil as well. Um, and so though you know didn't have results I wanted in foil, um, yeah, the FA was the main focus. So um, I'm happy with the result in that. Yeah. So, so you you continue with both, you think? Yeah, I, th- I think so, definitely. Yeah, cool. Okay. Um, now, the dominant nation in in wheelchair fencing in in Rio and and overall at, at those games uh, was was China. Uh, they have an enormous success in in the Paralympics. Um, what do they do that we we could copy? I mean, what what's, what makes them so successful? Uh, I think there's there's huge differences in cultures, really, um, and. Uh, with all different fencing nations and with China it's that very kind of militarised strict disciplined um, kind of training um, and and the amount of you know these guys have been fencing since they were you know kind of selected at a 
sort of three or four years old mm. um and then just train and train and train through um and also they have such a huge um sort of talent pool um of literally hundreds and hundreds of wheelchair fences um and uh, that their disabled population is uh, larger than the whole of the uk's population yeah so. i did read that the other day something like 86 million registered uh, disabled people in in china so you know yeah so it's usually more than uh, the whole population really. of the uk yeah um, so it was you were part of a, a young a young team at uh, at Rio uh, yourself uh, just just turned twenty two uh, slightly belated happy birthday and uh, <laughs> uh, Gemma I think only twenty three and uh, uh, Dimitri Kucha your your male teammate uh, just a just a mere child at eighteen so um, presumably the the plan is that all all three of you will will keep going through to to the next Paralympics in 2020. Yeah, definitely. Um, and uh, I think uh, as a team, we're a really close-knit group. Um, we, we've worked so well together so far, and uh, as individual fences, we, yeah, we, we've improved hugely. And uh, but, yeah, obviously, we've still got a lot to learn. And uh, I think going forward to Tokyo, it, it's an exciting place to be in where we have such a young team um, with, with lots of talent for all of us. And um, going forward to the Games, there's a lot, lot, lot of places we can improve and hopefully get uh, even better results. Yeah, I mean, it looks like him. As I say, uh, presumably the uh, career span of a uh, of a wheelchair fencer is is much the same, and you can expect to continue to improve and progress, um, you know, all the way through your twenties and almost even beyond that. Yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. Yeah, definitely a lot, a lot of uh, space for improvement. <laughs> <laughs> well, everybody likes to think there's room for improvement. You know, once you reach the point where you think you're perfect, then it's it's probably time to stop. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, so I don't think anyone's going to get to that point there. Um, so you think there are, are others who are likely to to join the team over those four years? You know, younger fencers or or ones who are perhaps still still progressing and, and not quite reached the level of the, the three that were in Rio that are, are likely to make a make for a bigger team in Tokyo. Yeah, I think so, and I think um, I also hope that the um, you know the, the success we've had um, um, not, not only in the medal but also qualifying three athletes. Um, for, for an away games, um, uh, I think that I hope that that'll do a lot for the sport and kind of you know really kind of encourage people to get into it. Um, and uh, as, as a sport, you don't really see much of. Um, I hope that you know Rio, like really, a lot of people have seen it from Rio and think that yeah. you know that's the sport they want to take up because uh, it really is a really you know, exciting sport and just really interesting. Yeah, I thought it actually came across really well on on the TV. Probably actually better than uh, the, the the fencing in the in the Olympics, um, which. I think to some degree was um, for, for a non fencer harder to follow than the, than the wheelchair fencer was. I thought it came across brilliantly. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, well, one one last question for you then. Um, if uh, if you had to gamble the silver medal that you won uh, in Rio, and you uh, got a sort of fifty fifty chance in this one, uh, with the possibility of collecting a, a gold in Tokyo, which which would you take? <laughs> That's a very difficult question. I think <laughs> it is. It is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think for me to, to you know, like uh, I knew a medal. I was capable of getting a medal, um, but it was still kind of very far away from whether I thought I could actually do it and to achieve it. Um, I, I don't think I'd swap that. But um, obviously to. That come that close to a taste of gold, <laughs> I think that that's that's really you know, a driving force. And um, and um, so yeah, it is a tough one. Um, I'm not, so, I'm, not think... I'm not foreshadowing it though, but I think that's the right answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> celebrate the fantastic achievement in Rio, and um, I really look forward to seeing the, the progress of you and you and the rest of the GB uh, Paralympic team over the next four years. Uh, and I wish you absolutely every success in Tokyo and uh, in all the competitions between. Uh, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you. Thanks very much indeed for joining us. Thanks very much. Cheers.
Well, I thought that was a good interview. Yeah, uh, again, yeah. we've got another eloquent, intelligent, uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, engaging, engaging interviewee. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, uh, he, he was really good to talk to, and it was really interesting to get his uh, uh, his views on the games and the, the sport and his progress in it. And uh, I, I look forward to seeing. I mean, as I said in the interview, it's a, a young British team. Um, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking forward to see what they can do over the next four years. I think it'll be a, a, an exciting time for wheelchair fencing in Britain. I mean, I, I, I spent some time rewatching the highlights of uh, Piers's uh, medal fight there, uh, just on just online, and it's a, it was actually it was it was quite tense. I mean, there was that gap, obviously. Then he brings it back, yeah. and it was very very close right at the end. And you know, and as we were saying before the interview, you know, in Epi, evil-bodied Epi, you've got that whole that whole tactical environment where people will move and play with the time a lot more, but you, you don't have any opportunities. Yeah, yeah, and it's always really good watching things. Uh, the, the hand speed, and the hand accuracy is genuinely amazing. I yeah, think. it is you know. a spectacle. So, um, so yeah, very brief wrap up of the, the, the Paralympics, but um, I thoroughly enjoyed watching it, and obviously delighted to see a see a British medal out of it. Yeah. Um, so Junior World Cup season, mm-hmm. uh, reasonably well underway. Uh, certainly, been at least one event uh, for all the weapons already in the juniors. Uh, so, Gav, do you want to give us a quick round-up of what's been happening so far? Yeah, well, uh, this isn't in any particular order, I have to say. I'm just going to start with uh, each event in turn, and I'm just going to go through them all. Um, so, our first event in the Junior Men's Epi was uh, Luxembourg, and that was won by Adrian uh, uh, Dabija of Romania, uh, and Jakob Jurka from the Czech Republic. He came second, and equal third there, we've got Clement Dorigo and Gio of France and Giacomo Paolini of Italy. Okay, so we're quite quite happy with the Romanian win. I think we like we like Romanians. Uh, we do like the Romanians, yeah, and yeah. they're good at epi. So I'm always happy to see, see the Romanians at the top. Yeah. Interesting there that it's very early in the season, so it's very hard to see if anything interesting is really coming out of this. But I think you know you've got a check there in the second place. You wouldn't normally, you know, checks are good at epi. Not offensive powerhouse, particularly. Yeah, but yeah. you're usually competent. Is what I would go for. Right. You know, but yeah, I think that's quite a good one. Obviously, we've had one for one junior women's epi. Uh, agreed as well and that was in uh, Malo in Israel Israel sorry Israel yep. yeah mm-hmm. uh, and that was won by Irina uh, Okota Rakova of Russia okay you handled that well that was good <laughs> well uh, to be fair the Russians basically won this event because it's it's four Russians in the in the top four in the top there. four okay that's, that's yeah. pretty convincing it's a pretty, pretty convincing win for them yeah um, a, good, a good spread of entries in it or was it uh, a, a sort of relatively small field it's a reasonable spread of entries but it's, it's, there's quite a lot of Russians and Israelis in this list. Right. Um, there's a few others outside of that. You can see like Croatia, Georgia, Ukraine, Kazakhstan, places like that. But there's not very many, you know, French, Italian, German uh, entries in this list. Okay. I, so can't, I can't see any, in fact, in the top oh, top thirty-two that I'm actually just looking through at the moment. No, as somebody from Denmark. Okay, so a bit, a bit of a bit of a limited field for this first one. So for the first one, perhaps yeah. uh, for all the Russian domination, perhaps early, uh, too early to draw any sort of conclusions yeah. from from that one. Yeah, there's no. I mean, in women's epi, you would expect to see some Romanians, and there's, they're conspicuous by their absence. Right. So anyway, so um, as I say, Arena won uh, won the event, and then her teammate Angel Angelica uh, Kugieva came second, and then we've got. Uh, Manana Samova and Ekaterina Terezova were equal third. Excellent. You're starting to realise why I, I let you read out the results. <laughs> uh, 
well, uh, my pronunciation is uh, every bit as bad as everyone else's in this country, and I, I really, if anybody gets offended by anything I see, just just write in and I'll apologise. Yeah, it's, it's or not an issue. Send us a little um, video, a uh, little audio clip of how we should, appre- yeah. should be. Or a video, or a video. We'll link yeah. you up on Facebook. Excellent. Uh, yeah. yeah. So moving on now to into foil, and we'll start here with the the junior women's foil in Budapest. Oh, in fact. Men's foil and women's foil was in Budapest, yeah. and that was uh, a couple of weeks ago now. And I'm going to start with the Jimin's, junior women's foil, and again, we've got Russia at the top, yep. um, but there is a big spread on this one, because obviously Budapest is quite a big event. Yeah. So um, we've, the winner here was uh, Marta Martianova, uh, obviously of Russia, and her teammate Adalia, and I'm going to struggle with this one, <laughs> Abdrakmanova uh, of, Russia, of Russia came second. Good effort. Uh, well, I, I did try. And an equal third here, we've got um, Ariana Papone and Pia Uelt Gesfort of Germany. You're doing great with these, Gav. Sorry, <laughs> sorry to have left you with that. Um, yeah, um, you know, a, a more sort of a broader spread of uh, countries entered in this oh, one, yeah. uh, but still a Russian one too. Um, I mean, yeah. It really does show the depth that they have in women's foil. But uh, uh, two two juniors that I, you know, I'm not particularly aware of, but you know they're 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 at the top of the pile. Yeah, uh, it, it really is sort of frightening frightening amount of depth in, in Russian fencing. Yeah, is, uh, I mean, it's, I mean, I mean, I know we we're only going to talk about the sort of top four really, but just having a quick spin through into the other ones. I mean, you're looking into the top sixteen. It's you know, there's quite a good. It's quite it's all the normal fencing nations that you would actually expect to see. Yeah, you know, usually France, yeah. Russia. And it looks like uh, Britain just just missed out on a, a last thirty two on that one as well. Now, in the men in the junior men's foil of Budapest, uh, that was won by Samuel Wallace. Mollus. Mm, Mollus. Sam Mollus. Sam Mollus. Oh well, there we go. Yeah. Uh, of USA and uh, Alexander uh, Adiri of France came second. Yeah, Adiri's a good ring fencer. Um, I've seen him fence a few times before. Um, he'll probably, I would think, be looking to push for a place in the, the French senior really? team before too long. Uh, the thing with Samuel, Samuel has won the Cadet World Championships the season before last, mm-hmm. and off to a, a flying start with the junior season. I think it'll be interesting to see if if he's uh, an American junior fencer that can now start to you know perhaps finish his, his junior career. He's still got another another year at juniors. But I I would hope that he would be um, start to push for a place. Uh, in their senior team before too long. Uh, I mean, it's a well-established um, men's foil team for for the USA. They've been in place for five five years or so, five six years. Um, and it would be good to see someone like uh, Sam Wallace uh, make that step up and start to start to push for a place. I mean, it must be quite difficult if you're a, a junior in the USA at the moment getting in the team because it's such a it's such a good team that they've yeah. actually caught. So yeah, it's, it's the team, and everybody everybody knows who they are. Um, but yeah, I, w- I would like to see see uh, a bit of pressure being applied from from someone like Sam Wallace. Mm. And then obviously in equal third here, we've got two Italians. Uh, we've got David uh, Filippi and uh, Tommaso Marini. And uh, do you know anything about them at all? Um, I think Marini fenced at the Junior Worlds last year. Right. Um, the Italian juniors, well, the junior worlds last year was dominated by uh, the two Japanese fencers, and Japan won the men's foil uh, team event. Uh, Italy were second; it was a really close match. Um, I'm not entirely convinced that the current current crop of Italian juniors um, quite the same quality as as we've seen in in previous years. I mean, they may develop into yeah. uh, successful senior fencers, but uh, I do get the feeling that they're maybe not the match for. For some previous right. uh, outstanding succession of outstanding uh, Italian junior followers. So we've not quite got the Italian all stars yet, then. No, uh, I mean they may they may grow into that that role, but right. uh, at the moment. Yeah, not not quite convinced that it's going to happen for them. It's still, I mean, as I say, it's it's still early doors. Yeah, exactly. You know, it's just still you know, one event, and uh, that's uh, you know that's all we've got to go on at the moment. And then moving on now, we're going to move on to the to the to the saber events. 
the Sabres actually started a little bit earlier, so we've got two events uh, for the for the Sabre. So, and that's for both men's and the the women's. So we'll start off with the junior women's Sabre. Uh, the first uh, the first event that I've got here was in San Marino. Sorry, San Jose. Uh, oh no, that's not San Jose, USA. That's San Jose in Costa Rica. All oh, right, okay. Yep. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure it's I'm sure it's lovely. I'm sure it is. I'm yeah. sure it's lovely. Love to go. And that was won by uh, Lucia Lucarini of Italy. Which is quite interesting. It's not a very big event here, and it's uh, it's mostly dominated by USA and Mexico, and it's an Italian that's turned up and won that one. Right. Um, but anyway, second to uh, Lucia was Cara Linda of uh, the USA, and then equal third here we've got Natalia Botello of Mexico, and for the USA Elizabeth Tartakovsky. Okay. So when you say not a big event, how how many are we talking here? Uh, Thirty, according to the FIE. That, that is quite small. So yeah. it's, it's quite a small event. This one. Okay. Uh, I can imagine it's quite difficult to get to some, you know, if you're, I don't know, Romanian or, you know, Russian or something, that might be a little bit difficult to get there. Costa Rica is going to be, yeah. be a, a big trip and expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, perhaps, because most of the World Cup events, it's a, it's a Eurocentric circuit, no matter uh, whether it's juniors or seniors. Um, you know, there are events all over the place, but the majority still remain um, in Europe. So if you're a European uh, fencer, uh, perhaps the idea of a trip to Costa Rica isn't that appealing. But then if you're an American who's spent, mm. you know, all their junior and senior career spending most of their time travelling to Euro- European competition, you perhaps might feel that the, the Europeans should try a bit harder to actually um, yeah. uh, cross the pond to, to fence in their Junior World Cup events in, in Costa Rica. Yeah. So that's a little bit dis- disappointing, but... Yeah, but anyway, I'm, I'm sure... Happens. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure it was, you know, I'm sure it was a good event anyway. And then also, st- sticking with Junior Women's Sabre before we move on to the Men's Sabre, we, and the, just over this weekend we've had uh, the Plovdiv, the famous Junior Women's the Women's Sabre. Yeah, yeah. yeah. so... <clears throat> that was won by Sofia Pozniakova, and I was wondering if whether or not she in relation to to the great Pozniakov. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. We'll, we'll try and find out. Yeah, we'll definitely have to find that one out. And uh, sort of again, bit of, a, bit of a fan of the country. And it was uh, Lisa Pustai of uh, sorry Pustai of Hungary came second. Excellent. So yeah, again, we're fans of Hungarians. So yeah, that's, that's good to see. Uh, in Italy, we've got uh, sorry, in equal third, we've got Lucia Lucarini of Italy, and then we've got another Hungarian and Petra. I'm not sure he pronounces it, but it looks like the Zahonje, uh who came uh, equal third. Yeah, okay. Yeah, and again, obviously, Plovdiv was a big one, so there's uh, we had a big massive spread on that one. And, uh, yeah. In the men's event, let's see, who was that one by? That was won by Benjamin Natanzon of the USA. Oh, um... Stick with uh, Plovdiv. Plovdiv, yeah. Right. yeah, stick with Plovdiv. We'll talk about the other one in a second, I think. And uh, second up on that one was Konstantin uh, Lokhanov of Russia. Okay. So we're starting to see a lot of Russians at the top. Uh, they're they're everywhere. Um, yeah. yeah they're, they're, it's not like the Russians really have a have a weak weapon. No. There there's lots of them. They're all good across the weapons. Uh, they do follow a sort of conventional career path of cadets, juniors, seniors. Right. Um, okay. And it's it's pretty ruthless. I mean, you, you'll find guys that are. Uh, seem like stars for Russia at junior level. Mm-hmm. Never, never make it in the senior team. Whereas other countries would be, you know, clinging on to them and mm-hmm. trying to nurture them through the seniors. So it's uh, uh, because there is so much debt. Um, making that that step through the through the ranks from cadet to junior to senior uh, is is properly tough if you're a Russian fencer. Wow, wow. So that produces results for them as well. And then uh, the, the equal third uh, we've got here, we've got uh, Gerardo Carantini, sorry Carante of Italy, and uh, Andrei Gladkov of Russia. 
So there we go. Now the, there was actually another junior men's saber event before Plovdiv, and that was actually in Tehran, and uh, it was a reasonably big event. But I think it's safe to say that there's quite a lot of sort of Central European and Asian fencers at it. But again, we're looking at uh, looking at the winner here. It was uh, another Italian. It was Leonardo uh, Driossi, and second to him was another Italian, <laughs> nice. uh, Dario Cavalieri. Uh, so obviously there's a, a strong Italian team fielding yeah, for that one Italian D8 mm. yeah now equal third we've got uh, our, our first from this country is from uh, Nika Schengelia of Georgia right and then uh, Maxim Pinchuk of uh, Belarus right okay so there yeah. we go so it was actually quite good but looking down through the rest of the list it's quite uh, yeah Iraq Kazakhstan you know Georgia Azerbaijan you know but uh, yeah so not too much in the way of no France Germany no no not too many Italian no. top two uh, no Russians. Uh, let's have a quick soft spin down. No, I haven't, unless I've just overlooked them. Certainly not in the top thirty-two. Okay, so yeah, no, no bad, no nasty Russians. No, no nasty Russians okay. in that one. No. So again, a sort of slightly restricted field for the yeah uh, for the trip to Tehran. Yeah, again, it's one of those places where it might in certain, if you from certain countries it might be a little bit difficult to get to. Yeah. So and that's that's basically all the results now for the juniors. Okay. Um, well, I mean, plenty more, plenty more junior events to come. Mm-hmm. Uh, World Championships uh, will take place as usual around about Easter time so yep. um, we'll, we'll get more updates from the juniors as, uh, as the season rolls on but uh, yeah so an interesting start with uh, some exotic locations that produced a kind of <laughs> slightly, yeah. slightly unusual entry and perhaps uh, you know non-representative results that will yeah, yeah. kind of even themselves out over the course of the, the season I would think um, and, and, and as you're saying the, the, the Russians have quite, quite a lot of depth so you are going to see a lot of Russians in the, in the results yeah. and somewhere near the top as well and it'd be, it's going to be interesting because we were talking about this before we went, before we recorded this, and it's going to be interesting as the, the next four years shake out exactly uh, which ones go on to become stars and which ones maybe stay within the junior bracket. Yeah, um, I mean that's always the interest for uh, for for a lot of people is you know mm. who looks like a, a superstar when they're sixteen do they go on to be a superstar at yep. twenty two twenty six mm-hmm. uh, and who who don't make that jump because it is a pretty ruthless um, transition from yeah. if you've been doing cadet and then junior events. I mean, there's a big step up from cadets to juniors, and the step up from uh, juniors to seniors is tougher still because mm-hmm. you know you're fencing in juniors, you're fencing people who are more or less your same age yeah. within a you know within a year or two, uh, and then you step up to the seniors. Out of the juniors, you're you're 20 years old, and you've got guys who've been doing the senior World Cup circuit for 15 years. Yeah, and it's a it's a real sort of cutthroat environment. Mm-hmm. Uh, you need to make that. Uh, that adjustment pretty quickly. Yeah, I think so. so. Uh, uh, finding the ones that will, will do that successfully is uh, is a real interesting talking point when you look at junior fencing. And then I think we're going to talk about retirements and coaching moves next. Yeah, uh, moving towards the seniors now. Um, yeah, it's been been a couple of bits of news. One one that we knew about really before Rio. Um, yes, that's right. Yukiota had announced that uh, Rio would be the the end of the line for him. Yeah. Um, so silver medalist in in Beijing, uh, world champion in two thousand and fifteen. Popular um, Japanese fencer, most successful Japanese yeah. uh, fencer of all time. Uh, tremendous to watch, and um, uh, only thirty years old. So, I'm, and I'm, I'm genuinely sorry to see him go. Yeah. It'll be a, a big loss to men's foil circuit, I think. Do you think there's any of the other Japanese team or anyone new has caliber? Um, not at the moment, but like I mentioned earlier, in the juniors, uh, it was a Japanese one too at the junior world championships in yeah, men's foil, mm-hmm. um, and uh, one of them finished second in the Asian championships, and the other uh, made the last eight so I think there's a, a bright future for Japanese men's foil mm-hmm. uh, but it may take a bit of a while for them to for those guys to mature into that that role but um, so we're going to have to keep an eye a close eye then on the on them yeah so those, those are exactly the sort of ones that yeah. I'm talking about making that transition from juniors mm-hmm. to seniors so yeah. it'll be interesting to see what happens with them 
um, and our other retirement, mm-hmm. bronze medalist in the men's epee, yes. Brumier of France, yeah. calls it a day. Again, not not exactly an old man, although he has a slight old man appearance about him. We just sort of mention that he never comes across as the most charismatic uh, fencer you're ever likely to meet. But, um, but I would say he was, I'd say he looks like how you would expect an APS to look like. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, maybe if it's a stereotype, but we don't want to encourage that. Um, but yeah, so again, sorry to see him go. Yeah. A fantastic fencer. Brilliant um, fencer, actually. And uh, again, he'll, he'll he'll be missed, I'm sure. Yeah, but it's really there. the next bit of sort of news that we have, I think it's the interesting part. Yeah, we, we mentioned um, when we were doing our podcast about the Olympics that uh, you know we weren't quite sure where China was going, how, uh, how focused they were on, on pushing on high-level results, um, and then almost no sooner were we um, done, our, done our broadcast uh, with that still sort of ringing in our ears, the, then the news comes through that um, the French epi coach, uh, Aubrey, is, is off to China uh, to look after the, to be the lead coach for the men's and women's uh, epi programme in China. So, um, yeah, a bold statement from China that they're, they're not messing around um, and are bringing in probably the, the best epi coach in the world, I would say. Uh, it was a bit of a surprise. It was a genuine surprise when I, I read the news article about that. A yeah. genuine surprise. Because, like, Hugh, Hugh's such a popular bloke. You know, no one ever says any bad th- any, anything bad about him. There's a, sort of been, been rumours and rumbles that maybe he wasn't very happy in the way things were going in France at the moment. And, you know, but you would have thought the French would like to hold on to someone like that. And he coached Groomy as well. So I yeah. want to know if Groomy is going with him. And that's maybe why he's thinking about, re- you know, well, he's uh, saying he's retired. Yeah. You know, maybe he's going to Or maybe the fact that his coach is clearing off to China. Is that the name of the coffee for him? Yeah. Well, that's, that's enough for me then. I'll, uh, yeah. I'll stop at that. But yeah, uh, as I say, a, a very interesting move. Yeah, very, very interesting. So, Gav, I think that just about wraps us up for uh, for part one of episode two. Yes. Uh, I hope you'll join us again for, for part two, where we look forward to the, the upcoming senior season and what we're, what we're looking forward to. Um, and to help us out in uh, our difficulties, shall we say, with uh, actually describing what's happening in Sabre and giving any sort of expert opinion at all, we brought in some help. So uh, we look forward to seeing you in part two for that.